You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 611, the BBC is in crisis again. The crazy world of Liz Jones living next door to a major music venue. And we say hooray for the Doobie Brothers. That's all coming up after Angie Stone. And I wish I didn't miss you. Just a friend. We're sick and tired. 
one from my top 10 of all time um although there are about 250 songs in my top 10 of all time uh, surprisingly only um minor chart placings 79 on billboard 30 in the uk the splendid angie stone from 2002 and wish i didn't miss you i love that song i think it's so so good um i'm just uh, i just think it's just so marvelous the way the way that it kind of collides along and uh, I bought that on tape single when it came out. So uh, I wish I still had that um, because I suspect that might be worth money. Anyway, yes, a very good song. Welcome along to Parish Council episode 611. I'm Terence Stackham and here she is, the Angela Rayner to my Oliver Dowden. It's Juliet Harris. <laughs> Do you know, I was about to tell you off, but I think you've got the worst side of the deal there. So I feel that I'm doing quite well on this. I was saying, I was remarking to, to, to somebody recently you know, about these kind of rather out there intros that you give me <laughs> and how I sit here with a slight sense of dread for about yeah. six seconds a week whilst I wait to hear what I'm up to this week. Oh, by the way, to track back to my comments on intros, Passim, still no call from this morning. But anyway, in the meantime... I will content myself with shouting at Oliver Dowden. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Last week, we had a, a conversation related to the new release about Wham! on Netflix. Yes. And there was a quick story I meant to mention about George Michael. Um, and it was it was this. Way back in the uh, 1970s, I worked for a while at Capital Radio in London, mainly as a gopher. I was very young. Mm. But occasionally I was allowed to produce the Roger Scott shows in the afternoon when the regular producer was away. Um, anyway, because of that connection for several years afterwards, I would go back and help in Capital Radio's Help a London Child charity appeal. Um, and most years, I mean, it was just a mm. question really of asked, being asked to join the team answering the phones. They just needed people answering the phones for people in pledging in money um, one year in the 80s. George Michael phoned in and he pledged £50,000 and asked that we didn't mention his name. And people at Capital told me that each year after that, he would donate £100,000 every year without fail. And, and again, every year asked, Look, please don't put my name up, but I'm sending you a hundred grand. What a great man. Just what an yeah, example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He just seemed like a really lovely person who, despite and what's so interesting about that is, is the, what, what the documentary kind of showed was mm. that partly due to problems, partly due to problems around not being able to come out in his, mm. his early years, he became extremely driven by success and replaced, you know, other things with a desire for that. But having said that, it didn't seem to warp him in the way that it does no. warp some people. It didn't seem to change, turn him into a sort of a selfish person at all, which is lovely, but also a bit sad, I think, because maybe that might have protected him a bit more. I don't know. But anyway, a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. Now, every few months, Tim Pepsi-Cola Davy, <laughs> his, his, his BBC... That's Councillor Tim Pepsi-Cola Davy, <laughs> you, Tim, I believe. Indeed. His BBC seems to find itself in a, in a crisis. Mm. And this week, the latest scandal emerged. One thing that never seems to change when trouble hits the BBC, and you know, we, we can go back 20, 30, 40 years, is that their first act 
and it's always proven to be a disastrous move, is to delay, cover up and try to minimise corporate damage rather than dealing with the issue. And this is what happened with the disgraceful behaviour of uh, Martin Bashir and also Mm. carved out the initial response to the Jimmy Savile horror. And I saw Mm. Jim Davey interviewed this week. Um, the only interview he gave, which was to uh, his own Radio 4, the lunchtime show, Lunchtime News. And he once again came across as an observer, not someone with ultimate responsibility. And this regular response means that we, um, viewers, viewers and listeners, trust the BBC a little less each time. And the reaction mm. of the BBC hierarchy, Jules, seems to be a civil service uh, approach do nothing hope it goes away and, mm, and i can't mm. I, I can never see such an outcome being acceptable in the private sector it's it's just in the sort of engulfed world uh insular world of um mm. tim pepsi's bbc tim pepsi yes indeed what an excellent name yeah it's it's the whole thing is just the thing, yeah, you say. Although having said that, there is the only possible argument against the against this in the latest crisis, and I don't even think it's much of an argument, but I will try and rehearse it mm. nonetheless. Is that um, I, I suspect? I mean, yes, I agree that the BBC are once again slow. Once once again, are caught on the hop for being slow. Um, aspects of this latest story are, I think. I I'll vexed I think in terms of it's difficult to know what is true and what isn't. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that I and and this was a, an argument I think that was made on the news agents podcast by ex BBC staff on there is that the BBC get a lot of um what I could only describe as crank pot complaint every week with mm. various scurrilous allegations about various people and. I guess maybe it is difficult for them to investigate them all. I don't know. Maybe it's difficult for them to 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 be able to have mm. the capacity to go through every kind of green ink letter. I don't know. But this is it. So so um, I'm, it's difficult on this to know to what extent the witnesses are reliable and to what extent they're not, and to what extent the BBC should have interrogated more when it didn't receive contact back from people making allegations i don't know i mean it's 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 one of those situations where i think everybody here probably has behaved badly i think it's difficult to find anybody that hasn't in any kind of angle on this but yes like you i find the fact that the bbc seems to want to lie on the floor and let people kick it um very 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 frustrating to say the least and i think it shows a lack of the problem is, is that is that you almost feel like saying, well, were you protecting one member of staff at the expense of others? I don't know, because it, because I, I was on a, a work call when um, a colleague who is the who is married to somebody who is involved in presenting somewhere um, basically had expressed expressed the um, the frustration that the BBC basically ground to a standstill because of mm. this until eventually somebody in the presenter in question's personal life took control of the situation. It didn't feel like the situation was was going to be put under control otherwise. And then, of course, one does wonder what else are we not hearing? I mean, I'm not I'm not fully signed up to, you know, the conspiracy theory that was floating around that the sun did this to take the heat off George Osborne. Mm. Having said that, though, the, the whole thing has been so 
wearying, I think, Sir Terence, for everybody. Mm. And once again, the BBC ends up reporting on itself. I mean, I, I made the sort of joke on Twitter at the time, more in anger than in humour, that when when they have when the, the McAlpine stuff and the Jimmy Savile stuff was kicking off, and they had to they had to uh, do do reporting on it on Newsnight. I said on Twitter that Newsnight had become the Simpsons programme Eye on Eye on Springfield, where they have a consumer affairs programme called or a local investigation programme called Eye on Springfield, and someone makes a complaint about it. So they have to have a programme about the complaints about the programme that they call Eye on Eye on Springfield. <laughs> so I do feel once again the BBC is in its Eye on Eye on Springfield era here. Yes, <laughs> very good it's, analogy. And it's, it's just so, it's, and it's just, um, yeah. And they, and someone, my a friend of mine, posted a, a a a thing from that from that episode, I think, of the news, a, a, like a, a sort of a picture. He said, one day we'll study the Simpsons, like we study the classics. And there was a picture um, of Kent Brockman, the newsreader, presenting. And there is a sort of a, a like in American TV news style. There's a there's a sort of photo behind him, and it says breaking news. And there is a photo of him on the breaking news of the program that he is presenting. So um, so yeah. It feels feels very much like yes. that at the minute, and I mean, you know, it's it's, you know, who knows? This story will come out over time. I think. I think there is more. There are more things to know about this story. It's yet another excuse for the government to go after the BBC with a bike chain. And as someone that supports the BBC, I say, stop, stop being so chaotic. Stop being so incompetent. Stop, stop having an internal management structure where nobody knows what else is doing. And then the BBC decided they would try and, you know, clear up their mess by publishing more allegations. The whole thing just felt extraordinary, really. And I don't think anyone has come out of it looking good and i mean the newspaper involved i mean the people in the story i mean i mean the bbc nobody mm. has come out of it you can, you can't point to any you can point to very few people um apart from the maker of the statement on wednesday as having come out of this with any dignity meanwhile the annual disclosure of top bbc presenter salaries always an eye opener and as mm. ever there are there are anomalies which are hard to figure out. Now, top earner remains Gary Lineker, 1.3 million. Which you can put money on, yeah. Yeah, but here comes what is probably a familiar theme to me. May I introduce Orla Gurin, 180 grand a year, and Lise Doucette, 209 grand a year. Now, step forward, willowy permagrin Joe Wiley, on £235,000 a year. Orla and Lise report from terrifying conditions oh, absolutely. in the world's most yeah, dangerous absolutely. war zones. Joe Wiley plays Coldplay on Radio 2 and gets free access to Glastonbury every year. Where's the sense in that? Um, Zoe Ball, just under a million quid a year for mm. the achievement this year of, of losing the most weekly listeners among the main BBC stations. 600,000 listeners lost mm. to her show in 12 months. Gets a million quid a year. Uh, you know, have some more cash. It, it takes it back <laughs> to the earlier point about the BBC unaccountable and rudderless. Well, yes, indeed. Although, interestingly, I don't know if this... So, so this list has a sort of credit of the um, of the of like what the people present, um, but it doesn't. They don't all seem to say what TV they're doing. So, in the case of radio presenters, they just seem to they just seem to have 
um you know they just seem to have like oh um you know they don't seem to say they present anything on tv for example because i think i've seen zobel do tv presenting so I, i'm not sure the list is that clear and that it doesn't tell you everything that they do but yes i agree it doesn't seem to show a lot of prioritizing of news journalists you also get these weird things where the people that present the same programme are on different salaries, I suspect, because of their TV presenting. So Evan Davis, who presents uh, Radio 4's PM and Radio 4's The Bottom Line on 280 grand, as is Justin Webb as well. And then if you look up um, a pro- quote-unquote friend of the podcast, Amol Rajan gets paid oh, more, God. although although yeah. he does do TV things. I, yeah, I find the reporting on the list a bit difficult to make it a sort of compare like for like also it's interesting to see how much value for money you get from people like you say you make the reference of zoe ball who is listed here as radio 2's zoe ball breakfast show radio 2 terry wogan tribute now she's on 980 to 984999 so these are in five grand bands scott mills so scott mills the rather likable scott mills i mm. would say who is credited as being radio two show radio one show radio fives the scott mills and chris sark show big weekend and jubilee weekend and also presented eurovision although that is not that is not mentioned here but did quite a lot of tv presenting Eurovision. so mm. i'm saying they're getting pretty good value for money from scott mills as is he is on three hundred thousand to three hundred and four thousand that is a third of what, less than a third of what Zoe Ball is on. It yeah, makes no sense it's at very all. Hard, I, I I it's very hard to... Mm. Sarah Cox. But again, I don't understand why only certain things are being listed. Because uh, maybe this might be... Maybe this is like a tax thing where they do... Um, where they do, like, if they've got TV presenting work... They do it through a separate company, so it's not classed as a BBC I think that's salary. The key Maybe it's that. Indeed. Oh, well, in which case, I do then, believe that happens. In which case, the then board. that makes it. This makes it even madder that Sarah Cox is who does the Radio Two Drive Time show. So she does a show every day, I think, as well as Zoe Ball. She isn't listed on the Total Wogan tribute, but she also does a daily. And I think Drive Time's prime time, isn't it? Would you say it was prime time? Drive oh, time? Yeah, That's very not much. Prime so, time yeah. breakfast, but yeah. still, you know, prime time. Mm. So she's at the same station. She has a similar vintage to Joe Wiley. Sarah Cox has paid two hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds to two hundred and ninety thousand pounds. That's a quarter of 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 that salary. It's very yeah. strange. It, it it's very no weird. Sense. What is whether it's because they yeah. have some have very good agents. I just, I, I just don't know. It's very strange, has, isn't it? Yeah. No. Jeremy Vine's Daily Show on Radio Two gets two hundred eighty-five to two hundred eighty-nine thousand pounds in comparison. So mm. it's just very mm. um, and 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 also it's. But I suppose it depends. What are you valuing? I think the point about Ola Gerin and and uh, Lisa Doucette is a good one. Mm-hmm. What what are you valuing? What are you saying is worth the money? Um, Kirsty Work, for example, who presents Newsnight, covers Start the Week and presents new specials. That is quite stressful work, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's often live TV. It's on £280,000. Again, mm-hmm. considerably less than the than the high salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all, all very strange. Coming next, the bizarre world of Liz Jones mm-hmm. and living next door to music venues. Mm-hmm. That's right after Wanda Jackson. I wonder if Juliet is sending me a secret message here. <laughs> well, arrested on the charges of unemployment, he was sitting on the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney, said, I'll free that brown-eyed man. You want your job, you better 
if I could have expressed my feelings to you in a different way I would have done but uh, no absolutely I love that version of that song someone do you remember mix CDs Sir Terence and mix mix tapes yeah of course yes well my uh, my best friend from school put that on a mix CD for me and I vaguely knew this was year we're going back oh goodness knows um getting on for 20 years I would say and I knew of Wanda Jackson I hadn't realised how good she was. I love the fact that Wanda is the queen of rockabilly, her previous association with Elvis. I think she's absolutely wonderful. I love the version of that. I I, I, I like the original as well, obviously, but I am um, I really like the um the twang. Wanda's twang has made my week. That was Wanda Jackson and uh, brown eyed handsome man. What a performer. I mean, still with us, 85 years old, only no, retired four years ago. Mm. Oh, I mean, it's long way to enjoy her retirement. That is a shift, isn't it? Yeah, to, really to, is. to work for that long. The Daily Mail, uh, Mail on Sunday and indeed Mail Online, they're, mm. they're curiosities for sure. But one of the most peculiar columns in a sea of peculiarities. Yes. I was going is, to say, this is, this is quite a high bar, isn't it? It is. It's, it's the Liz Jones column. Oh, now, man. while similar confessional uh, columnists like uh, a Tim Dowling or Robert Crampton write mm. about, they write about the minutiae of their, their domestic lives. Liz Jones manages to tell us she is penniless and bankrupt. And then the next week, she's flying first class to Umbria to stay in a castle. It, it is very odd. This week, um, Jules... She's reached a new height or depth, depending on yes. your view. Fifteen years after getting divorced, she met up with her former husband, Nirpal Daliwal, to see if they could find some sort of closure. And uh, spoiler, it all went terribly wrong, Jules. I think 
people, Sir Terence. I mean, I, could, I I will talk to you about this, but it's I I stopped. Re, I, you know, I was initially alerted to the bizarre world of Liz Jones and read a couple of her columns, and I just find the whole thing really sad. I just find the whole thing really dreadful that you know that a woman who I I don't know what it's impossible to know as someone that has a a relative that tells me things and I'm not sure if they're true or not it's difficult to it's difficult to I don't know I just find myself with my head in my hands at this whole thing (laughs) I read the article obviously both of them I just felt they were both children to be honest Mm, both of them teenagers both of them said something completely different to the other um the only thing that they seemed to agree was that Liz Jones was delusionally wanting to be like Carrie from Sex in the City that was the only point of of kind of common ground they seemed to find and indeed the whole the whole reason why she did this is because it happened in and just like that the sequel to Sex in the City which is returned for another series I just it's so grim this and not grim in the sense that, you know, it's hardly something that all agrarian and 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 uh, least to set would be reporting on. It's not that level of grim. I get that. It's just I just can't believe that these people are given any airtime or money because I suspect they were paid for this piece just to be so dreadful in public, really. And I think I must be getting I must be getting, you know, very gloomy in my increasing middle age, Sir because I just don't have the mental time or the energy or the space to kind of even gawp at these terrible people anymore, because I just think this is a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. They're not getting anything positive from this. They're getting money. That's all they're getting. I think they're probably both terrible people. And and I don't see why we have to swim in the sewer of reading about them. I've never met uh, Nirpal Daliwal, but I did meet mm. Liz Jones briefly at a literary festival exactly 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> wow, the summer you, of you, you live such a high fancy life, <laughs> She was both how I expected and not, and I'll just quickly explain. Oh, interesting, go on. She was frighteningly thin and beautifully yes, dressed. Yes, I'm not surprised, yes. But she had this demeanour about her that could either have been frostiness or shyness. It was quite mm. probably the latter, to be fair. Mm. Mm. Um, a, a very sort of queen-like approach to um, sitting around a table chatting to people. It was as if she was sort of remote from the whole thing. Having said that, though, I'm a bit addicted. I, I think it's always oh, a good Terrence. read. Oh, Terrence. Oh, I'm judging you for goodness sake. It's a fascinating read. Liz Jones' <laughs> column in the mail. I, 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 oh, it, God. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish, I, you know, I, I maybe I should wish them well, but mm. I just, I don't know. It just, it just, I find it so... And also, you know, may, maybe to give a bit more sympathy to Liz Jones, mm. part of the reason that I kind of flinch away from this she just doesn't see I, I mean I don't know I worry for her I worry mm. that she's not very well and yes. I'm worried and I worry that she's being that the male you know almost to go back to the to the thing we were talking about first thing that the mm. press will always give a platform for people to or certain elements of the press will always give certain people 
who are damaged and who shouldn't, who perhaps shouldn't be exposing themselves in the public eye. As much platform and as much money as they want to make mm. themselves to make themselves look stupid so that, you know, well, I, I, I'm not judging you really, Sati, honestly. I can understand the human nature of wanting to look at a car crash, which is very much is, so from what I can gather. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's just, there's just something about it that it's so, like, I find it really distasteful, actually. I know this mm. makes me sound 103. I'm not wearing tweeds. I'm wearing leggings. But it's, it's really, I just find it really disturbing actually in the same way as the bbc story as well there's something so disturbing about the fact that that we as humans you know the reason that liz jones has paid a lot of money for her column is like a lot of people read it like like mm. you've just said and people that you know perhaps wouldn't do that sort of thing usually find this addictive that's why she's paid so much and it depresses me that there's an audience out there for it and that liz jones is being if she is the sort of shy person that you say is being you know sort of pushed pushed you know given lots of money and, and pushed in front of of a of a baying crowd to live a really unhappy life by the sound mm, of it and and yeah and and you know the bloke sounds awful as well and and the whole thing is just not good really and so so i just yeah i really struggle with it because i struggle I, I, a lot of things make me sad more than they used to city and i find that i just I just really, I just can't do this. I can't deal with this because I do feel like I'm sort of participating and I don't want to do that. I wish everybody involved a life away from the public life, I think, is mm. what I wish them, because I think that will probably result in more happiness. That's a fair point. Now, um, there's there's a joke Prince Philip apparently used to tell when mm. he and the late Queen. Had I'm guessed. already I'm already concerned, but yes, go on. No, 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 it's fine. Um, it's it's not one of his. Uh, oh, I was going to say one of his one of his calling a steel uh, calling death no. by a steel band. No good. Okay. Nothing like that. No. When Let's he see. and the Queen had guests at Windsor and aeroplanes taking off or landing at Heathrow about five mi- five miles away or so would drown out any conversation, and he used to say, "Well, I can't believe they built a." castle so close to the airport <laughs> um okay. it was a great line and i thought of this when i i saw a tweet last week by someone called vix and it said he or she said this oh my god this bloody concert thing is kicking off now in finsbury park that means i will have 12 hours of non-stop noise when people are meant to relax after a week at work so glad I'm moving away and won't have to put up with this anymore, end of quote. And this is a, this is a cultural dilemma, Jules. Live near a music venue, and whilst it's great for the people visiting for the day, it's an it's a nightmare for the people living nearby. This festival, by the way, the Wireless Festival, received yes. noise complaints from two and a half miles away. Wow, okay. So I think there are two different issues at play here. I think there are two there are two different um things going on. I have sympathy for people like the tweeter here who who where there are events that take place in public parks. So place that take events that take place, mm. not in venues as such, but in open space events. I mean, it, that there are things that take place on um, the oval in a place in, in, the, in the place where I live. I was trying to work out the other day roughly how far away the oval is from my flat where I live. Um, and I, I, I can't. I, I, I think it's roughly about a mile. I think. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and you can hear everything when they perform up mm. there. Um, which is is not. Um, is it's not, not good. 
It's not ideal. That having said that, it was nice to hear silly games by Janet Kay in the comfort of my own home rather than leaving. Although the the downside to that is that they don't take place all year. There's a few in the summer that take place. My view is, to some extent, if it doesn't happen very often, I think you kind of got to grin and bear it. Although having said that, equally, if it happens too often, I get that it is very irritating. Mm. But the tweeter has the right the right attitude, and that they are moving away. The flip side to this, which makes me really angry, actually, is when people move mm. next to existing music venues and then complain. My answer is, what were you doing in your? What was your solicitor doing in your local authority search? And also, what were you doing when you went to look at the bleeding property? <laughs> you know, you should have seen that there was. You know, if your property is opposite the Ritz in in Brixton or you know Brixton Academy or something like that, it is there. It's been there for there is up to you when you're moving to a local area to do your due diligence either legally or just by having a look at the area that you're making probably Mm. the biggest investment of financial investment of your life in and see what's around and and see what the situation is the world would be a better place if more people did what i did which was when they saw somewhere they were interested in buying after they put the offer down to go and and drive their car around the road at two different times a day during a week and sit there for an hour and mm, see what see what goes wise. on and mm. and you know I, I know that sounds like I'm boasting I I think it's basic common sense mm. and yes I have sympathy for people whose lives are disrupted by open air events though having said that my attitude personally is a it's nice to hear Janet Kay in my front room and b um I really don't. After the last few years of constant disruption of people not being able to be together, of events not being able to take place, I'm a little bit more live and let live, I must say. And my view is if this is only happening a few times a summer, then I mean, there are people that complain because Hastings Pier had seemed to have loud gigs every weekend during the summer. Having said that, though, those same people that are complaining about, you know, oh, I can't sit in my garden because I can hear loud music. They will be the same people who in six months time are going, I can't believe the piers closed. How tragic. You know, some of these places mm. <coughs> do have to have an income. They do have to find a way of bringing money. And piers particularly, I think I have sympathy for, because piers are so expensive to maintain. People really forget the structure of piers and how difficult they are. So mm. I have sympathy for a, a certain amount of sympathy for people with open air things. If it's like, you know, like you say, a park, Finsbury Park. Hyde Park, that sort of thing. Although surely everybody knows now that, fact that particularly in London, these festivals take place regularly there. Um, my view is, is yes, you know, it'd be inter- you know, it depends on people's financial circumstances, of course. Maybe that's the weekend for a weekend away. Equally, if you can't afford that, I get that. But I think people that move into move into to, to properties that are near to existing venues and then moan, no, I'm sorry, that's on you for moving there. And also, I think it's appalling that the local authorities and planning authorities are allowing permissions for blocks of flats to be built next to where music venues are. Cause and effect. Can you not see that people are then going to complain about the noise? So as well as as being cross with people that move into place and then complain about the noise, I'm cross with local authorities and public and you know planning authorities for allowing allowing building near those places for allowing that. Pro- to come into effect if the music venue is there first it's there first it got there first that's my view 
Yeah, I, I, I very much agree about the the, the smaller music venues. Mm. Um, it's like really moving next door to a pub, and the pub's been there for five hundred years. Sally, and and you've got a you know new flat built next door, and then complaining that you've got a pub next door to you. You know, it's 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 exactly. ludicrous. But on the on the thing about um, on the issue about concerts being staged uh, in the open air in places that weren't. Mm built for the purpose weren't designed uh, yeah well it weren't designed for that purpose exactly thank you i I'm, here's another example i've got friends who live in notting hill and they yes. go away after boarding their windows up each year for the weekend of oh the yes because it's just too stressful to stay and not be able to leave your house for three or four days but exactly see, on, the, on the other side to that about a year ago um hmm. We we had my birthday dinner at Harry's Dolce Vita in Knightsbridge. Mm. Lovely, uh, lovely mm. uh, time had by all. And we decided to walk around the Serpentine, which is just across the road. Oh, yes. But it was a day when the Rolling Stones were playing. Oh, right. Park. And so we walked around to the accompaniment of a support act, uh, Sam Fender, who we could hear okay. so clearly as if we had been in the front row and That's we very, must have been, yes. you know, or again, I mean, it's hard to estimate distance, but a good half mile away. But we could hear, you know, as he gave little anecdotes between the songs, and everything, we every single word, every note. Mind you, that does make you wonder about volume, doesn't it? I it mean, really did. But it did that, strike I, I, me I, yeah, if somebody like, I don't know, somebody I really revere, like uh, Dinah Ross or Stevie yes. Wonder came over to play and I can't be doing with the standing up for nine yes I'd sit on a bench by the serpentine and I could hear the whole thing you know exactly we'll do that exactly one wonders are the people in there getting BFM if if you know people could hear (laughs) a friend of mine heard Metallica playing at Download Festival and uh and lived seven miles away and 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 sat in their garden I mean we had an issue once or an incident once where um We've talked previously on this podcast about the sad sort of sad story of Peter Hook and the Light Mm. and um, who is touring, who needs money and is touring uh, Peter Hook and the Light to do Joy Division and New Order songs because he is no longer in New Order. And um, and we was uh, they played on the pier a few years ago and I was sat outside an Italian, uh, no, a, a Turkish restaurant with some friends of mine. And we weren't that far away. We were within sight of the pier. So it's not like we were we were mm. like you a half a mile away. But we weirdly, the sound for that, we couldn't we couldn't hear. We couldn't hear it as clearly as you could. We could only hear sort of the the music and the thudding bass line. Um, there was a sort of comedy moment. One of my friends went, I really hope he's not going to do Love Will Tear Us Apart. And then in the background, you have a very distant muffled dum 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 we all went oh no and but we could bake out the baseline i suppose but yes i suppose you know people that that were in hyde park these as kind of decline a bit but but the attitude for the appetite and attitude for festivals does not decline look at how many people want to get tickets to glastonbury each year i think that the organizers of these outdoor events Try and treat them as if they are festivals, if you see what I mean. And it, mm. and it's and perhaps it's a good it's a good festival. I know you don't want to do the standing ups of tea, but if mm. you did, if either, neither of us are natural campers, shall we say? So if we decided we did want to go mm. and have a festival experience, 
I, if there was, a, you know, a lineup of people I wanted to see, I wouldn't be averse to go into one of these things for a day. We when we went to see Brian Wilson some years mm. ago that I've talked about on the podcast previously, we didn't go for the rest of the day. But that day itself, I think Suede might have played earlier on in the day. It was actually a sort of a festival, and it had quite a good lineup. And it was mm. sixty-five quid, which at the time, you know, seems reasonable now. Um, I mean, it was about standard at the time. This was about six years ago. But um, a, a part of me thinks. Maybe this is slightly misguided on part of the organisers. They're going trying to give a festival experience, and that's why the sound is so loud. They are behaving as if it is Glastonbury when it is in fact Hyde Park or Finsbury Park. Maybe that is part of the thing behind it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, still there's more as mm. we watch the Doobie Brothers on their 50th yeah. anniversary tour. That's coming next. It's right after Sinead O'Connor.
I rediscovered this album this week. It's so wonderful. An album of traditional Irish songs sung so beautifully by Sinead mm. O'Connor. And there's a fantastic lineup of musicians on the album, um, Irish musicians, uh, including Steve Wickham, Sharon Shannon, Christy Moore. Um, and that's from her 2002 album, Sean Nosnua, Sinead O'Connor and My Largan Love. She's really made some beautiful records, Sinead O'Connor, I think. And and again, and this always happens with women in public life, City. You know, we 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 get to hear about the 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 you know quote unquote mad Sinead O'Connor. The same thing happened mm. to Bjork. And actually, they make beautiful records. And it, how lovely to hear a Sinead O'Connor record that is not nothing compares to you or Mandinka. Most of which, both of which I like very much, but those are the only things you ever hear get played. I remember listening to that album. I used to listen to it a lot, actually, around the time mm. it came out. I must try to get out. And like you say, it's beautifully done, a beautiful sort of tribute to the Irish folk tradition. Mm. I think it's great. Hooray for Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, I agree. Big, big hooray for Sinead O'Connor. Back in 1975, at the age of 19, I tour managed a visit to the UK with Little Feet supporting the Doobie Brothers. Mm. Wow, what a lineup! That's very smooth sailing, Jason. I love that. (laughs) I was already a fan of the Doobie Brothers before the tour, Mm. and I've never stopped loving them since. Mm. And I, I have mentioned this before, but I still remember the phone call I received in the office days before mobile phones phoning in from a phone box from a member of the Doobie Brothers. I think it was Pat. Patrick Simmons telling me <laughs> that their tour bus was lost in Goldchester. And after a great deal of confusion, this turned out to be Gloucestershire. And he, <laughs> he was trying to read a sign uh, and read it as Goldchester. Well, right now they're in the middle of an extensive. 50th anniversary tour mm. taking them all across america and canada it's running right through to the end of october mm. the tour had to be rescheduled from uh, 2020 yes. of course because of covid this week we watched a performance from this tour at the radio city music hall in midtown manhattan i make no secret about my love for the doobie brothers jewels but how did you feel the band were doing 50 years after they got together well, I really hope I look that good in 50 years' time, oh, is what right. I would say. They were very, very, um, they were very well preserved, I thought. I enjoyed this. I mean, it's, but the thing that, that's sort of worth considering is it was at the Radio City Hall, like you say, which mm. is a different venue to a stadium. I think the sound had been very much cleaned up because when you were listening to the, to the, to the, to the sort of soundtrack, it could have been a record, really. So I was a little bit sceptical as to how live it was because of the heavy production that had been done on it. Um, I have heard incidents, I won't name the artist, but people's performances at certain live events in recent years take a while to return on to catch up services. And when they do, there have been some vocals cleaned up and possibly some vocals dropped in. So I was a little bit cynical about whether or not how live this truly was. Having said that, a beautifully smooth sound. I thought Michael McDonald is is fantastic for a man of his increasing age, I must say. I felt that his vocals bordered on becoming a little bit shouty in places. He's always had that kind of voice that tends towards that kind of end. Having said that, though, amazing that they're still doing their stuff. The crowd seems to enjoy it very much. They've had a lot, a lot of songs, haven't they, Sir T? They just kept, <laughs> they just kept 
pumping them out. I, I enjoyed it. And I think that, that, that their sound is beautifully smooth. If you like a sound with no corners on it at all, which sometimes we all do, don't we? We all need a bit of peace sometimes. Mm. I just think they're fantastic. And um, yeah, it was it was very well produced. Like I say, a little bit concerned as to how produced it was, but it sounded fantastic. If you'd said to me, this is the new Doobie Brothers album, I would have gone, oh, this is really, really good. Also, yeah, like I said, although he was a bit shouty, they've all held their voices. They're all still very talented musicians. The saxophone solos were marvellous. It was still very much what it was really so when things are, are that well preserved 50 years on you know maybe a bit maybe everyone is a little bit skeptical but i thought it was brilliant yeah i salute them all i mean these blokes are all about a decade older than yes. me and i doubt i'd have the stamina to do a, a, a couple of hours on stage. now it's funny what you say because i thought i went down similar lines to you initially i thought well, this is fantastic. The playing is absolutely mm. out of this world and their voices singing and collectively are fantastic to the point that I also thought, how much has this been tidied up? Because it was mm. it was so perfect. If it's You could have eaten off was, that sound. It was it was just so good. Nothing it was wrong, straight off the mixer. Nothing bled. Yes. My goodness me, are they in good condition? I mean, Michael McDonald in particular, as you say, still hitting even those difficult notes, especially on uh, an incredible version of What a Fool Believes. Yes, Every that was in, that was on. that was jaw dropping. And I actually went back and watched bits of it again, particularly for the points you raise. And I'm still in a dilemma because I couldn't mm. see, and I know seeing isn't listening, but I couldn't see um, any differentiation between their sort of lip movements, if you like, and any nuances mm. of tidying up bits being dropped in. That's not to say it hasn't been done because of it. No. Has done brilliantly well um, it's clearly so, a lot of money spent on it i think it was clearly a big a big production so um so yeah it's i was just thinking how lucky we are to have lived through an age where steely dan and the doobie brothers to, to name but two are still touring and bringing yeah. such joy and you mentioned it there to see the camera bringing the reaction of the crowd at radio city was was really rather moving so yeah, yeah absolutely. they continue you know absolutely i wish them well yeah, so that's the Doobie Brothers 50th anniversary at Radio City Music Hall. It is available online, and the easiest place to find it is on YouTube. If you just put Doobie Brothers 50th anniversary Radio City, yeah. it'll come up. Brilliant. Thanks very much for being with us this week. Good to have you there. Yes, I very much agree. Always the case. I don't think we've quite reached the 50-year anniversary of Juliet's radio show just yet. <laughs> no, we haven't, although there are weeks where it feels like that, I must say. <laughs> um, I, have been, I have been doing smooth sailing in different iterations for three and a half years now, or yeah. three and a quarter years, I think, which is, is something, isn't it, this? So, um, so what can I say? I'm a, I, 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 who knows if I would give us 50 years of this, but... Um, <laughs> If not, then uh, then let's enjoy the years that we have together. 7 to 9 p.m. Um, on noiseboxradio.com. Previous shows on Mixcloud. Uh, Yacht Rock, M-O-R-A-O-R. I do play the Doobie Brothers. I do play Steely Dan. I do play Little Feet. That sort of thing. To play us out, uh, another band in the middle of a massive world tour, including just about every festival being staged this year. Absolutely. These these people are giving it a go, aren't they? You have mm. to respect that. Um, I am 
I regret to inform some listeners are suffering from modern jazz again. So following from Nubia Garcia last week, I'm listening to a lot of this kind of stuff at the moment. I really like the comet is coming. I think I've picked the pyramids for that for this this podcast, mm. you know, within living memory as well. And I love this. And the thing I love about lots of these new bands is that you get multiple versions of things. So you'll get a sort of short version, and then you'll get a longer on alternative tape version. So I played uh, Nubia's alternative tape last week of Hold. Um, this is the full version, and I did stress that to Sir Terence. Yes, I did full version. So my apologies, Sir T, as always for being me. But um, but yeah, this is the, the the full version of this. I absolutely love this. This is the comet is coming and finally.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. 